I just got done recording this interview with Dr. Caroline Leaf, and this might sound a little punny, but my mind is blown. I invited her on with us to share about our brain, our mindset, and our thoughts, and how our mind is intimately connected with our physical bodies. We talk all about anxious thoughts and depression and how most solutions are just band-aids, and she's going to walk us through a five-step solution that actually does work. Fascinating. So much fascinating stuff in this interview. You are going to love Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's one of the world's leading experts on cognitive neuroscience and neuropsychology. She's also an author of several books, including Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, which I highly recommend. I hope you love this interview as much as I did. Let's jump in. Being 40 or older can be a struggle with new pains and less energy. If you're determined to be strong, energetic, and feeling great for many years to come, this show is for you. No extremes, just doable self-care tips that will change your life. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman. Let's jump in. Well, hi, Dr. Caroline Leaf. We are so blessed and honored to have you with us on the podcast today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Megan. It's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to our, our conversation. And I know that many of us women, we have this silent mess going on in our minds, and it has this dramatic impact on how we show up throughout the day, how we show up to take care of our bodies, how we show up for others in our life. And I know as a coach that's working with a lot of women in their fitness and nutrition, um, I see a lot of anxiety and depression and just lowered mood and, and even toxic thoughts that creep into their routine and um, into the health sphere. And I think you can have the perfect routine, a wonderful meal plan, all the best intentions, but when your mind is not in a healthy place, those things just are, are a constant struggle. So how common is it for women, especially entering midlife, you know, maybe coming through the 30s, going into their 40s, 50s, to suddenly start experiencing more anxiety and depression and mood issues. Well, you really hit the nail on the head when you when you speak about the fact that it's you can have all these great routines, but if your mind's not right. So the science behind that is completely accurate. So I just want to hit that first and then we can talk about the age thing. Most people don't realize that when we look after our health and our fitness and our diet and um, supplementation, all those things, you know, like the kind of biohacking things, which are very important to do, that is actually only 10% of, uh, contributes 10% to our overall health. So when, so they're extremely important. And if you don't do them, it impacts everything. So what's the other 90%? Our mind. And that's the area that is so neglected and has been so neglected over the past 40 years as we've moved into a more neuroreductionistic approach. So more of a brain-based, mechanistic, symptoms, physical approach. Now, I'm not, I haven't, I'm not saying that, you know, everything that, that, um, doing, taking the supplementation, doing the exercise routines, eating healthy, I do all of it. But I know from my research, and most people don't know this, and you've, you've instinctively gleaned this from the work that you're doing and that and you may not have known the 90 percent side but i know that if you are going into that routine but you're worrying about a child maybe it's one of your adult kids or you are trying to juggle financial situations or your marriage is in tatters or whatever it may be or something that is going to affect the ability 
of your body to actually absorb that nutrition or benefit from that exercise routine. So you will feel better because the exercise does burn off a lot of that energy that has the toxic energy that builds up, but it's not a sustainable thing. It's more like a band-aid on the wound. So what we have to address at any age in our life, and this starts honestly with my youngest patients were two and three years of age and my eldest were in their 90s. So this is a life-spanning thing that what we do need to do is reintroduce mind management back into the equation because we are sitting with a mental health crisis. And the last couple of years, it's swapped. It's not, it's children are doing bad, as bad, if not worse than adults. But that's not the crisis, the real crisis. That's a symptom of the the real crisis is mind management. We're just not looking at the mind enough, which is why I've dedicated the last 40 years of my work to researching. I still run clinical trials, writing books, doing, we created a whole mental health technology platform to help people to really understand that 90%, that that's driving, it's actually, it's actually 100%, but it's it's driving, it's just easy for people to understand 90% is my mind. I've got to manage my mind because messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy life. And I can keep adding the nutrition and the exercise, but if I don't, get my mind right, I'm not going to get the full benefit. My, my cells can't even absorb the benefit of that exercise for long term or that great food or that supplementation or that nootropic or whatever that biohack is that you're using, which are all good, but you can't get them in. So that's first and foremost. It's critical that we start dealing with mind. I love that you say that. There's always been this thing inside of me that feels a little opposed to this biohacking movement that we have right now. And it almost feels like it feels too much. It it feels really hard to attain. It feels very stressful. And it makes me wonder if that's that's exactly why, where it's just putting this Band-Aid on top of something that is a gaping wound that really needs to be addressed. And that's the mind. And it's like, if you have all these boxes that you're trying to check, you're trying to have the perfect supplements, you're having the, the perfect like sleep hygiene, you know, all of these little perfect things, which are wonderful in themselves. Is this on your hand or this on your chest and this on your head? I've got to use this now and this now. I mean, it's it's a tool in your tool. Yeah. And it's almost like that becomes counterproductive at the point when your health efforts are creating more anxiety. And then your health efforts are, because you feel like you're constantly failing, they're creating more depression and a lowered mood too. So this brings me back to, you know, this this resurgence of anxiety and depression at this point in our life, how common is it for us women to be battling this right now? 100% of people are battling with anxiety and depression. It's not that it's increasing and whatever. It's 100 people. Everyone battles, even kids. But it's normal. And that's what we're not getting great messaging Anxiety and depression are normal parts of our human psyche that enable us to be able to process the vagaries of life. Not everything is nice. And, and part of us developing our resilience is being able to recognize that, experience the appropriate emotions, and then to be able to do something about that. But we live in a world which for the past 40 years, as I mentioned in the first part of the question, has become very focused on the mechanistic neuroreductionistic brain stuff. So symptoms, external locus of control, external things. So looking at the external, the biohacking is an example of that. And I'm not anti it, but it's got to be in proportion. 
It's got to be, if your mind's right, you'll know what to biohack. You know what I'm saying? You'll know what you'll, you'll do in a more balanced way. But when we just focus on a symptom and you see depression as a symptom of a brain disease, first of all, that's not accurate science. It's not what it's been totally disproved, but it's the, it's the main gold standard conversation that's being put forward to most people that they've got a chemical imbalance. And if they take this medication, it's going to restore the balance. So they've ta- that's wrong because what it's done is it's taken that person's life story. If you just knew empty nester and you maybe there's a chain that's such a total change in your life and you've for years you've been this caregiver and potentially working as well that's a huge change you're going to go through there's going to be a period of grief and a period of of feeling depression and feeling anxiety and that is okay that is normal so if you look at the depression anxiety at this side if it's these these are two scales my two hands and this is depression anxiety maybe um, frustration whatever all those kinds of things and this side's joy and happiness i don't talk about good and bad emotions because all emotions are information. Emotions are informational signals. So we've got to have them in balance. For us to be an authentic human, we need to have both. We're in a society where this, they're trying to eliminate these. You can't do that. You'll disturb the human psyche. You can't function without these. These keep you human. These keep you in empathy and able to connect with others and and it's not appropriate if someone is is um, is raped. It's not appropriate to laugh at that. It's appropriate to be depressed. If a child's being bullied, it's not appropriate to try and push the behaviors away that have been associated with the bullying. You, you've got to see those behaviors as a way of coping and help redirect the behaviors. So we mustn't eliminate our emotions. We must see our emotions for what they are. They're informational warning signals. And those emotions are going to go hand in hand with our behaviors. And the emotions and behaviors go hand in hand with our bodily sensations because everything's stored in the mind, brain, and body. And the emotions, behaviors, and bodily sensations go hand in hand with our perspectives, how we're looking at life. So how we are showing up in those four ways are information for us. So instead of seeing anxiety and depression as a mental illness, throw that narrative out the door because it's actually made things worse. And we have the statistical and research results showing us that that approach has made things worse. Rather say, I see the depression and anxiety as one of four signals that are giving me information. It's not something wrong with me, my brain, my genes, or something like that, or chemicals. It's something wrong. It's something that's going on in my life. So I'm showing up with depression and anxiety that's kind of not balanced. It's kind of tipping. It feels like this because of something going on. So I need to know why it's tipped, what's going on, and be reflective and um, ex- and explore the process. to. So in other words, embrace process reconceptualize to get that restoration and to learn from that and you know if you if you're grieving as i said because your children are now suddenly all at college and you know sort of it's an empty nester and that's an that's very normal this your children are different they need different things from you there's different requirements you different you you know whatever all kinds of things and that's not depression that's clinical depression that's just you trying to rebalance again so that's just another way of looking at it. That is so helpful because I think so many of us think I'm experiencing this and my goal should be to eliminate it, to get rid of these feelings. And I think you're right. That's exactly what we've been told. That's what I've always heard. You know, it's like, oh, you have a depression. Let's go ahead and either medicate it or or try to get rid of it altogether. Just rather than like, let's let's press into it, understand why it's happening. And, and so what would be your solution then if, um, you know, the elimination, 
clearly we know that, the, all right, that's not the best way to handle it. Well, we can't eliminate because once you've had experience, it goes into your mind, brain, body, which are three different parts that work together. Your mind's not your brain. Your mind is your aliveness. Your brain is a physical substance that responds to your mind and your body is, um, your brain and body, mind and brain control your body. So it's mind, brain, body, psychoneurobiology. And so the brain is a responder. So the brain just does what the mind is telling it to do. So if you if you if if you are having a thought that an intrusive thought that comes up and you think this is bad and it makes you feel depressed and you try and um, think say, well that's a bad thought and you try and redirect it to another thought and say, I mustn't think that thought, or I must get a diagnosis and a medication because there's something wrong with me, that will make you worse because those things never go away. Once you have an experience, it's there with you forever. So what we have to do is embrace it, to process it and reconceptualize it. In other words, change what it looks like in your driving networks of your mind, brain and body, and then it'll change how it plays out into the future. And that in, that involves in embracing that, not seeing it as an, it, a symptom to eliminate, but as something to embrace. That's really critical. Otherwise, you're just putting Band-Aids on the wound and you're not ever creating sustainability. It never goes never goes away, but you don't want it to keep in that same state. You want to change the state that it's in. And so that's critical to, to, to functioning in, in a healthier way. And you're saying body a lot. And, you know, I spend so much of my time helping train and coach our body aspect, how does having a, a mind that's not in a healthy place, maybe we've got some mess going on in our mind, how does that reflect into the way, into our body? How do we carry those things physically? Okay, so that's a great question. So as I'll use the example now of this conversation. So people are, and some people are watching as well. So this is what what's happening. Okay, let me make this as simple as I can. So there's sound waves coming out of my mouth and yours, and there's light waves coming out. And that is energy. And what happens is that your mind processes that energy on a physical level and into the brain. And the mind, at the same time, your mind also works on another level, a psychological level where you are responding psychologically. So you're thinking, feeling, and making choices about the information. So there's two minds doing these two things and all of that's put into the brain and the brain then responds electrically, electrochemically, electromagnetically and genetically, which means that it actually takes our words and builds, takes the words which are vibrate, like little vibrations, puts them inside a little protein. And as we say more words, the proteins grow and little branches form. So you are growing as I'm speaking, everyone is growing little trees in their brain that are holding this information. The roots are all the little memories, all the words I'm saying and that you're saying. That's the source. So our conversation is the source of this particular thought tree. And then the tree trunk is how each person uniquely thinks, feels, and chooses their response, their mind, psychological mind response to this information, which is different for every person. And the little branches of the tree are their interpretation of this incoming information according to their life experience. Now, that thought tree in the brain is a physical structure made of proteins and chemicals and has vibrations and it contains this conversation the same conversations also in our mind waves which are all around us in like a field which is like a little vibration you know you see little waves like an ee looks kind of like that then in our body this conversation and this is what you'll find probably very interesting as well is as this mind brain thing happens in mind brain sends an instruction to all the other cells of the body and the same information is duplicated, but in a slightly different way. It's a slightly different memory, but it's the same memory, but it's in a different form. And it also goes into little proteins. The protein holds a vibration and the proteins form like little, if you imagine 
beads and beads are all threaded and then you make like a carpet of these threaded beads if you can imagine if you can visualize that and then the carpet rolls up and that is what the memories look like inside your cells they actually form this like a skeleton inside the cells so so that that this information is vibrating in these little carpets inside of our body so as we're talking proteins are building literally growing to hold us so if you having this is a good conversation about healthy stuff so when people record this they're going to have it. There's a healthy tree. There's a healthy rolled up carpet. There's a healthy vibration. But if it was a toxic argument that maybe they just had an argument with a spouse or they're worrying about a child who's going off the rails and doing things that they, you know, their life is a mess or whatever, and they're totally worried about what's going to happen, then that experience is not a nice wave. It's a vibration. It's like a kind of pointy wave in the mind. It's going to be like a tree with ugly, imagine an ugly tree and then imagine a carpet that's unwinding in the body so as we experience anything it builds in like this so that's why we store things in our body brain and our mind and why when we recall things so let's say now you you're you it's 24 hours later and you get a phone call from this child or something and your heart leaps when you see that number coming up on the screen because something's been going on and now you think oh what's the next disaster so your entire body maybe you get like a shockwave through your body and your um, and your gut pulls tight and your shoulders pull tight or you get a pain in your heart that would be those carpets that are unrolled um, act being activated and generating a sensation and it's linked with the brain, the, 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 the little tree in the brain that's got all the detail of what's been happening and as well as the mind. So, I mean, it's complicated what I'm saying, but there's this network. So what we, and that's what drives us. So what we need to do is to manage this, which is, goes to your previous question, which I didn't fully answer, is if this is what's happening, if it winds in like this and it's stored inside of our mind, brain and body, which is why PTSD experiences and so on, then what we need to do is we need to train ourselves to observe how we show up in all these ways. So we need to train ourselves to to become aware, to gather awareness of what are emotions, where they're showing up in our body, how is this affecting our behaviors, and how is this affecting our perspective. So it's kind of like a scanning, grabbing those four signals, how we show up, and then unpacking those. Because as you become aware of those on a brain or neuroscience level, the minute you observe yourself how you're showing up with those signals so that you phone call for example and as you see that phone come that call come up on your phone you feel anxiety maybe a bit of um, total anxiety panic um, you feel the knot in your stomach or shockwave your perspective is oh, what's happened again and your behavior is I don't want to take this call or I'm scared to take this call or you already there's tension in your voice so that you would by observing that by observing yourself react like that you pull the thought into the conscious mind and it weakens it now you've got the chance and that thought contains the memories the branches that that gives you now the chance to actually see how it's affecting you the branches how you got there the tree trunk what the origin is and starts giving you the power to start and you may know the origin you may know the source of you know your child's doing x y and z but now you're in a more wise state where you're tapping into a deep spiritual and unconscious level to actually do something. So you're drawing on your resources and you're observing this tree from an angle of wisdom. And then you can say, okay, now what do I do about this? How can I deconstruct this? What can I do? Do I need to put boundaries in place? Is there some conditions I need to do? Is there whatever? How, how do I need to get external help? How do I say? What are the kinds of boundaries? That process of 
gathering awareness, reflecting, and then getting to the point where you can reconceptualize and then create an action is basically how we would start to control and get into a state of wisdom to answer that phone call. And you can do what I've just described is actually a five-step process called the neurocycle. And the neurocycle is a system I developed from nearly 40 years of research of looking at how does stuff get from the conversation into your brain in three ways. How do you find those thoughts and how do you redesign them? Because they're never going anywhere. So if you just try and replace them with another thought or eliminate them, you don't really eliminate them. You just numb you just push them down and they're going to explode. So what we want to do is get into them, face them, fix up the, the, the roots, you know, fix up the heel, the, the, the little root sections, and then regrow the thought so that it's a, a healthier thought. So And that healthier thought may incorporate putting very strict conditions on this child of yours so that they start learning to make the right decisions, tough love or whatever it may be. And that's and then getting the strength to be able to do it because your instinct as a mother is to totally bubble wrap your child and trying to avoid any consequences that, they, that they're going through um, and you want to fix it, but you can't fix it. You can't fix someone else. So you need to have, you know, you need to reconstruct that to have said things like you're as broken as you want to be and I can't fix you, whatever. So you get the phraseology. So you do that work to be able to then provide this, the wisdom and the support to the friend or the child or the whatever, the work colleague. So, and that process is um, something we can, we should be doing lots of, that's the 90% mind work we should be doing all the time. I think we definitely need to have you walk us through the the five-step process like really clearly of um, how to take, because this is so fascinating to me of knowing that thoughts and the way we process thoughts is a very physical thing, like something that can be looked at under a microscope. I don't think any of us have ever known that before. It's and also, yeah. It's just remarkable to me. And no wonder we feel such a physical connection when we have strong thoughts, positive or negative. You know, that is amazing to me that it actually a thought, the process of it is something actually tangibly physical. It is just amazing. So walk us through the five-step process that you're alluding to, because and, and everybody listening, I want you to think of the the moment or, you know, whatever that toxic thought is, if it, if it is the child that's calling you or, or that conversation with a spouse or at work or whatever it might be, the moment that, and I know you don't like the word uh, a trigger or, or something that engages you, what do we do in that moment? Yeah, what, walk us through that. To understand the, the five steps I'm about to tell you, everything that you do, Everything, the way you are at this very moment is because of what has gone into you, your experiences, and they are driving you. So your psycho-neurobiological network is this mind-brain-body thing that I've been describing with these rolled up carpets and trees and waves and all that stuff. Your humanity, how you're presenting to the world in this moment is because of what's in there, what's in the networks. And the ones that are the most dominant ones are the ones that are driving how you're showing up now. So if you don't like how are you showing up now? You can change it. You can get back to that core. If, it, if, if you're feeling like this is not who you are, or this is, you know, if you, if you whatever. Okay, so that, that concept. So the neurocycle is based on, um, it doesn't replace different techniques and things that are out there. I mean, things like breathing, meditation, prayer, um, CBT techniques, ACT. There's so many great techniques out there. It doesn't replace them. What this does is it puts those into context. So if you don't put, if you don't have um, 
if you just randomly do some breathing here and some breath work there, I mean, some mindfulness there and some body work there and some nutrition work there, if you don't have it as an organized process in you and you don't put them into the right align, if you don't align them, they won't wire in properly. They won't become a habit. So in order for something to drive you differently. So if you've got something driving, you don't like it. You're not going to change it with one neurocycle. You're going to have to do the neurocycle, which is a planned and guided process where you're reverse engineering how the stuff got in in the first place. You're reverse engineering that. Um, you're going to have to do that daily for around about nine weeks. So if you've got a habit that's established, it takes around about nine weeks in different phases, different things that happen at different stages. The first three weeks are the hardest where things get worse before they get better. And that's totally normal. It's not an illness coming back. It's a totally normal process. If you've been suppressing trauma from childhood for years and you now suddenly realize this is why your relationships have been broken and you suddenly see what you didn't want, you know, that you, your coping mechanism was to suppress, you're going to be depressed and anxious and grieving. That's normal. It's normal to do that. You need to go through a process of grieving and depression and anxiety, and maybe you can't get out of bed for three weeks. That's okay. It's part of your healing journey. You will get through that. You'll keep progressing forward. Currently, we, someone's told if they go through that, oh, you've got clinical depression, you need medication, and there's something, there's not something wrong with you. You've had something happen to you that was wrong, and you're trying to deal with that. So you've got to give yourself permission to be messy and work through that process, but you've got to have the tools in place to manage your mind to get through the process. So that's what the neurocycle offers. It offers you um, a way of managing your mind, that part of you that drives everything. Without your mind, you're dead um, and everything's disintegrating. It offers you that to deal with the big traumas of life, which are the things that happen to us. It helps us to deal with the, and those that's doing daily 15 to 45 minutes for cycles of 63 days, nine weeks. Sometimes it's such a big trauma that you may need multiple cycles. I've had some patients who've had such severe trauma that they have had to do six or seven or eight or nine neurocycles over a period of a couple of years or 18 months. Each one you're growing. So nothing's a quick fix. There is no quick fix, okay? Um, there's going to be no quick fix. Like with exercise, it's going to take time. Say it louder for the ladies in the back. <laughs> we get it with exercise. When it comes to the mind, we want to pull, we want to quick fix, we five quick steps. My five quick steps are not quick steps. You you can do them in a moment. You can do them in under a minute for the in-the-moment stuff. So like preparing for that phone call that you, as it's ringing, you can run through those five steps to get yourself into a mental state to handle the call. You can be in a meeting and someone's going driving you nuts or whatever, you can use the five steps to get you into the state to be able to manage that. So, but the work to, to change, that's that's a day-to-day -day struggle. So you can do it quickly for the day-to-day -day struggle, but to change a trauma requires daily planned and guided going through the five steps for at least maybe multiple cycles to change a habit. If you've got in the habit of always getting irritated with your spouse about certain things or overreacting to things, you know, we've got our habits, social media, that that's also that's going to take at least one neurocycle. So anything that is a habit or a trauma, and if you think of a scale of one to ten, one, two, and three would be the daily struggles. Four, five, six, seven would be the habits that we've developed. So one through seven are things that we do, okay? Um, and the little irritations of life and the habits. Eight, nine, and ten are the traumas of life that happened to us that we didn't control. That happened to us. Not everything's trauma. We've had tremendous concept creep of the word trauma. Where everything's trauma. It's not. If something's happened to you that disruptive and 
bullying, sexual abuse, physical abuse, that's trauma, war, war experiences, that sort of thing, racism, those sorts of things. So we can use the neurocycle for all of those. Um, the, the one, twos, and threes, you can use them in the moment, four, fives, and sixes, and sevens, the habits, at least one neurocycle, working daily for about 15 minutes, trauma, probably multiple neurocycles, working 15 to 40 Okay, stop for just a second. How are your fitness and nutrition habits right now? Like, really? If I randomly showed up at your house today and watched how you ate, how your workouts were going, how you moved about the day, just how you took care of yourself, what would I be witnessing? Would you be proud or a little embarrassed? Okay, don't worry. I'm not showing up at your house. However, that little thought experiment is very revealing about what could use a little work. So if you could use some help to get yourself back on track and feel so much healthier, I have a free five-day guide with simple daily challenges that I can deliver straight to your inbox. These include some nutrition tips, my favorite movements and stretches, and more that will really help you jumpstart some good habits. Super doable, nothing extreme, and it will get that ball rolling. And I want to give it to you for free, okay? Just go to vigeofit.com slash tips to sign up. That's vigeofit.com slash tips, or you can hit up the link in the show notes, and I will immediately send you the first day's healthy tips. You're going to love it. So this is a lifestyle because we're all facing stuff all the time. We've all got day-to-day -day struggles, etc. So the five steps of the neurocycle, first you prepare the brain, you prepare your psychoneurobiology, and that's with things like breathing exercises, breath work, um, mindfulness, meditation, prayer, whatever. That's a little bit of preparation that you can do for two to three minutes or longer if you want. Then you go into, but that's not enough, you can't start there. That's like in an, in a, if you compare to flying, that's getting the plane ready to fly, but you never take off. So you, you, you need to clear the plane, but you can't just stop there. A lot of people stop there. They think, okay, I'll just do that. That will be a band-aid on the wound and can make you feel worse. So you've got to now take off, fly, and land. So the neurocycle, you prepare, then you take off. You take off with gathering awareness. Notice the word gathering. You gather awareness, very specific, very controlled, internal locus of control. You choose to focus on what? Those four signals. You ask yourself, how am I feeling? What are my emotions? Where do I feel them in my body? What behaviors are associated with those emotions and those sensations in my body? What am I saying? What am I doing? How am I saying and doing it? What's my perspective in this moment? That's together. That's taking off. Very specific, planned and guided. Then you're going to reflect. Focused reflection is, okay, more details. How are those, uh, those four connected? What other emotions? What other behaviors? When is it happening? Why is it happening? Who is it happening with? So you start getting the story and the roots to, of the story. And you start capturing that third step, which is still flying. So gather awarenesses to take off. The first step is to reflect. The second step is to write. Now, you're not journaling. That's step five. That's one of the things you can do in step five. You are writing all over the page. You get a blank piece of paper and you're writing all over. I call it a metacog, where you basically bomb your mind onto that paper. And the more messy, the more pattern, the more circles, lines, start in the middle. So the easiest is to start in the middle, name the thought, put four lines coming out the middle like spokes of a wheel, put emotions, behaviors, bodily sensations, perspectives. All of this I explain in my book. In the app, there's a video. I have the NeuroCycle app. I have the the books and the video, all of that, Okay. <laughs> All of those are in there. Um, and then that basically, those three steps of flying, the, the first step is taking off the first and second step of flying the plane. And it's starting to 
pull up the tree getting and getting down to the roots. Then the recheck, which is still flying, is, okay, this has happened. What am I going to do? What, this, what is the plan? What's the activation? What's the trigger? What's the antidote? What's the solution? This is where all things like um, sort of therapy techniques you can give a soccer. So this is like the action step, like the activity. Yeah. Yes. The, not action yet. No, it's more, it's more work. It's still philosophical. It's still working out. Um, it's things like, okay, I see there's a lot of internal shame and that is what's making me withdraw from people and, and I get very angry with people, but it's not, I'm not actually angry with them and I'm saying things to push them away, but it's actually because I hate myself. And that is, it's that kind of analysis. It's the analysis of what the story is and how it's produced it in your life. So it's a deep analysis of what you've fixed, what you've drawn up in the first three steps. It's still flying the plane. Then the action step is landing the plane called an active reach. So this is where I've got to today. You limit your time. You can't solve everything in one day. You're only going to get a little bit in that time frame. It's five steps around 15 minutes. So you're looking at about one to three minutes per step. You'd spend probably the most step on step time on step four, three and four. Um, so like the first step, maybe a minute, the second step, maybe a minute, maybe five minutes on each of the next steps and then a couple of minutes. So it's not long. You can spend, but not longer than 45 minutes, you know, so you can work out the time allocation, five steps and so on. Um, and it, it, you, cause you can't solve it in one day. Each day, a little bit more is revealed to you because we can't handle so much in one day. So you can't fix it in one day. So today, as I get to that time's up now, you literally can put a time on to train yourself and you say, okay, that's, uh, I could see this is shame related. I can't fix this today. So you then go to the act of reach and you would be something like um, a statement that is showing you how you are going to start stabilizing this new way of thinking. So it's a direction you're going in. So it could be something as simple as, oh, I can see I'm not shame, but I'm feeling shame because of X, Y, Z. And so that statement, and maybe you visualize a beautiful rainbow. And so then you go about your day. And as you find your mind wanting to go back to that negative place, that's when you would train your mind to think, no, I'm going to, and you say the active breach, you say that statement. And in the app, there's a little, you can set, the, you can set reminders and it pops up seven times a day because that's like the ideal amount of time to actually deliberately and intentionally focus on the active reach. So the active reach is building the, helping to build the healthy, to change that, that, that you don't eliminate the tree, you don't pull the tree out, the thought tree, you actually roots, you change the root system. So this work is changing the root system. So eventually the toxic part shrinks and the healthy part is um, replaces it and it's it, like around it. And that takes a full 63 days to do all of that. This is so fascinating. And I'm hoping that anybody listening is realizing like, this is, this is not complicated. It might feel hard. <laughs> it might yeah, feel, you know, it's that different. Yeah. It's the difference between something being really difficult versus complicated. You know, it, we have maybe overcomplicated it in our mind and maybe not wanting, want to push into these challenging thoughts of like, I don't want to face this because this is going to take a lot of work. It's like, it, it could take some work, but yeah, it could take some work the 63 days and ask yourself, are you up for that? Would it, is it worth it to spend a few minutes every day with this one, with going through the five steps of the neurocycle to come out the other side of the, the nine weeks, realizing that this thing doesn't have a stranglehold on you anymore? That's so worth it. And you can ask yourself the question. Sorry, Megan, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But in doing that, ask yourself the question. Your, or let me give you the statement. And then you ask yourself the question. Your brain is changing every moment. 
It never stays the same because every moment you're having another experience and those intrusive thoughts that pop up are your best friend. They're giving you information and they're changing you. So if you push them down, they get stronger and more controlling in the negative direction. So in other words, the point is that your brain is changing anyway. So if you don't do something about it, it's changing in the wrong direction. So three days time if you haven't done this you're 63 days worse than you were 63 days ago but if you decided to change it the hard work of change you're now directing the change you're not being controlled you're controlling you're empowered to have an internal locus of control and you can start directing things in the direction that is better for your future no that's so so important so valuable something i love to say a lot is is the difference between training and trying. And I think so often when we're attempting to make changes in something, whether it's a habit or our health or whatever, we tend to approach the situation like, I'm going to try. And I feel like with that mindset, we get this like pass or fail, like, well, you either did it or you didn't, and you're going to have to start over. But I love your perspective here with the 63 days and you show up again and then you do it again. This is training. Yeah. And there's an expectation that you're going to have days where it doesn't go so well. Like maybe you forget to go through the five steps. Maybe, maybe you, you get stuck at step three. Maybe you, you, you know, so it's part of the training process and to just remind yourself, like, this is not a, you did it or you didn't do it. (laughs) This is, like training versus trying. And I think it's so helpful when, when we're trying to have any improvement in our life, even if it comes down to the, our thought patterns and the way that we think in certain situations. Do you feel like it's helpful to just practice this in, in one situation first, like maybe one particularly challenging scenario versus trying to apply it to everything? <laughs> Absolutely. Work on one thought at a time. Yeah, work on one. And you'll see that with the when I guide you through the app process, which is literally like me giving you therapy. So in the app, you'll see that there's a big block over here, and that's the 63 days. So as you press that, it walks you through the – it takes you through the exercise routine, the mind exercise routine, what you take it through. This is what you – there's the five steps every day where there's a mini lesson. These are little mini neurocycles that are scenarios that come up in the day-to-day struggles. And then there's decompression activities. And there is one for parents. So in terms of applying it in different scenarios, start with one thought. So you'll hear me say when I walk you through that, choose your top thought. So identify your top three and then of the top three, choose the top one. So the top three things that are worrying you the most. So an easy way to to work that out is to have what I call a thinker moment. So for two to three minutes, just close your eyes. It may be quicker and just let your thoughts wander free. Let your mind wander. And the thought that comes up the most, just Focus on that a little bit and after about two to three minutes, open your eyes and just write that down, just randomly on a piece of paper and you'll see a pattern and you'll see that, oh, okay, there's there's one thing that you kept thinking about in like 10 different ways. So then you know what you need to and you name that and that's what you work on for the next 63 days. So you don't swap and you keep doing that. You work, if you're doing a 63-day cycle, you work on that one thought for the entire 63 days. Remembering that one thought is a tree and that tree made up of roots, which are all the memories, root memories, lots of detail, and the branches, which are lots of memories. So one thought contains thousands of memories. Memories are the data. Like we've said probably close to 2,000 words at this point. 
in the conversation. That's around about 2,000, 1,000 little roots because we conceptualize it. That's how many memories are already in the roots of the tree you're building now. That's what I'm talking about. So one people think, how can I stick with one thought? That one thought, as you work on it, you bring up the memory. So the stuff that comes up is clustered in that um, around that concept of that thought. So if you're working on this, so the child example I gave you, the child example is the name of the tree and all the details of the, me- which are the memories. Those are coming up, different scenarios, different things that have happened. So it's not different thoughts, it's different memories inside that thought. So you stick with that one thing on the child issue. You don't go from the child issue to the boss issue, to the husband issue, to the wife issue, to the whatever, the dog issue, whatever. You that one. And as you do that, you'll see the related ones that will be the next ones you work on. So you just keep one cycle to the next. Now, while you do that dedicated time, and I always do that in the morning when I'm getting ready, because that's like a quiet time. It's great. You're getting ready in the morning and whatever. Um, then the other, the other, the other stuff, using the, using it during the day, as things come up, as a, as a phone call comes up, you do the quick ones, or as something happens that you are getting really affected by something at work and you go back to your office, you could then quickly put in one of the mini neurocycles and just listen to that, work, work through that as an example. So you can use neurocycle quickly during the day to help keep you focused, keep your mind managed, keep you in a state of wisdom. And then your daily thing is working on either a habit or a trauma related thing. And I can imagine that the more you do this, the more familiar you are with the process, the the easier it feels. Yeah. The, like the moment you you pivot and want to tackle a different area, you realize like, okay, I've been here before. This is not uncharted territory. I know what this process is going to look like and I'm, and I'm up for it. And I can see how that could get so much better. In this book that I've just released a couple of, about a month ago, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. This is the this is the one for adolescents and adults, obviously, and it's, um, this is the one that we've just released. So it's also the neurocycle. So if you have grandchildren or your children have children, you know, grandchildren, or you've or you teacher or you've got kids still, this is ages two through ten. So it's basically helping a child to learn how to go through that process themselves. Yeah, exactly. If they have it of techniques and it's got uh, cartoons and we've got a little cartoon image in there, a little brain. So we've got a coloring book. This cartoon appears throughout. So it's very user-friendly for the child, but it's also a great way for parents to understand how to use it themselves. So a lot of adults are using this book to help them understand the process. (laughs) Because it's so simple. So simple. I love that so much. And we're going to make sure that um, your app and then all of the books are definitely linked in the show notes. But as we, you know, we're talking about the plane metaphor, as we're landing this plane (laughs) today, what is, you know, one simple takeaway that you hope that the woman listening right now could just be able to walk away from this conversation and have that nugget of wisdom and just to be able to remind herself as she goes about the day, what would be one simple takeaway that you would want her to have? I would say that you uh, you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change what it looks like inside of you, mind, brain, body, and therefore how it plays out into your future. That's a beautiful summation of our whole conversation. I just love this so much. And thank you so much for spending time with us today. And you're just so generous with your time and your knowledge and wisdom. And we can't wait to dig into your books and learn more from you. So thank you again, Caroline. Thank you so much, Megan. 